0: is a very important day to me I've been I've been thinking about a lot of stuff for several months um, I, I've i been praying about what the Lord would have us do as a church and and I don't mean have us do a particular thing necessarily I mean how the Lord would would want us as a church to most effectively most intentionally glorify him and build the kingdom of god that that's kind of what we're uh, what we're supposed to be about uh, as a church if we 're going to be uh, you know a church that that glorifies God if we 're going to be uh, the type of church that does things on purpose, you know, and tries to, to take almost a, a, an evaluation, kind of a take stock of who we are, what we have, and the Lord has put us here in this location so we have a, we have a unique uh, geography, we have a unique group of people with unique gifts We have resources, we have facilities, we have land. We have all kind of stuff that makes us unique as a church. And it's our job as followers of Jesus to evaluate all that stuff, all these blessings that God's given us, and then ask this question as a group and individually. How can we, how can Berlin Baptist Church with all the things that God has given us, whether it be facilities, land, people, resources, uh, gifts, all those things, how can we take those things and use every one of them on purpose for the maximum glory of God? And that's when we do that, that's what we call casting a vision. And I've been praying about that for a while and thinking about it on a practical level. What's our vision? We have a mission. Uh, Our mission is going to be common to every Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church because God gave it to the church. God gave us a mission. Our mission is to love God, love others, and make disciples, plain and simple. If you want to know what the mission of God's church is, and we're going to talk about the first half of that today from Mark chapter 12, love God, love others, and make disciples. That's the mission of this church. That's the mission of every Christian church should be. But then we have a vision. And a vision takes into account our unique uh, gifts. In other words, the things I mentioned before. Uh, we're, uh, we're in a particular part of the state of South Carolina in Aiken County. So that makes us unique. Because even though we might have the same vision as every other Christian church, love God, love others, make disciples, the way we carry that out is going to be different than, say, a church in uh, Montana that's got a different geography, different people, different gifts, different resources, different than a church in, say, Uh, Washington D.C. or Atlanta Georgia or Salt Lake City Utah or uh, Northern California or even uh, the middle of Kansas or Wisconsin you see what I'm saying we have a, a unique setting so we all are about the same mission but the vision for how we carry it out is going to be unique to us so we need to figure out what that is so that's kind of where these next two sermons are coming from and going. Vision: What are we supposed to be doing? How are we supposed to best accomplish the mission God has given us? Does that make sense so far? And it comes with an automatic tagline. I didn't make this up, but I, I did adopt it, and I thought it was kind of funny. Uh, what's our vision? You know, we look at short term, and then midterm and long term. So. I'm thinking, here's what, if you want to get inside my brain for for just a moment, which is possibly a, a scary thing to do, what are we doing, what do we want to see happen here through this church in the next two years? What do we want to see happen in this community through this church in the next five years, in the next 10 years, and then even 15 and 20? So you start out with a a shorter window, and, but then you have to think longer term because people often overestimate what they can accomplish in two years but underestimate what they can accomplish in ten. And we need to try to think clearly about what God wants us to do and we need to do it on purpose with everything we've got to maximize the glory of God. you all with me? We want to maximize the glory of God. What can give God the most glory by using us for his purposes in this community In this state and and beyond. So the name for this little short term is 2020 vision. Next two years. We need to see it with clarity. And if we look at our 2020 vision with 2020 vision. My prayer is that we'll see very clearly what God wants to do through us. Okay. So. Mark chapter 12 is where we're going to be today, and let me just kind of set that up for you because this is the the first of two messages about vision, about us in particular as God's people here at Berlin in Aiken County in South Carolina in the United States of America. Have you ever gone into a conversation and you thought before the conversation started, you thought you had all the information you needed, you thought you were ready to, to enter into this conversation Dialogue, but you only, you realized soon after you uh, stopped talking and heard the other person in the conversation or the other people in the conversation, you realized you were mistaken. And what I mean by that is you weren't just a little misinformed or unprepared. You're being completely embarrassed by the other person in the conversation because they know things you didn't expect them to know or they are saying things or talking about things that you don't really know anything about and you find yourself all of a sudden unprepared. And so, you know, you can fake it for a little bit. You ever done that? Somebody asks you a question, you don't have a clue what they're talking about, but you talk like you know what you're talking about and you're just making it up as you go. You don't know the next thing out your mouth. That's, that, can, that can work for about 30 seconds and then all of a sudden you're going to be found out and you're going, you know, the look on your face is usually going to give you away because the person who knows what, you know, like if somebody were to ask me about electrical engineering, or, you know, forget it, I don't know a thing about that. You want to ask me about numbers, accounting, okay, I can talk with you. You want to ask me about you know, basic computer skills, maybe so. You want to ask me about theology and the Bible, let's go. But you ask me about another subject that I don't know anything about. It won't take long. And it will become painfully obvious that I don't know what I'm talking about. Even though I thought I did. Maybe I thought I could fake it. uh, But ultimately, I'm going to look foolish. So that's kind of what's going on here. Because let me just set up what's happening in, in this conversation that Jesus has. There's a group of there's five groups, a chief priests, scribes, elders. They're questioning Jesus, but they got nowhere. I mean, he told a parable against them, and they realized he was talking about them, so they left and went away. Then after that group of three left, then they sent some Pharisees and some Herodians to try to trap him in what he was saying. Well, they were unsuccessful, of course, and so they went away. In fact, they, they were utterly amazed. The Bible says they were utterly amazed at him. So as they went to him to try to throw a trap for him, and it didn't work, and they left amazed at what he said. Then finally, there's some Sadducees who say... they Now, now Sadducees and Pharisees, here's what the, the main division between those two. Sadducees do not believe in the resurrection. That's why they're so sad, you see. That, that, was, that was bad. I'm, I'm sorry. I apologize for that, that corny joke. Uh, so the Sadducees came and questioned him, ironically enough, about the resurrection, which they don't even believe in. And so he told them they were mistaken because they don't know the Scripture and they don't know the power of God. So that's a pretty scathing indictment. So he sent them running away. So after all this happened, this is all in chapter 11, end of chapter 11 and end of chapter 12, coming up to our text. All these groups attempted to expose Jesus as a false teacher, and all of them proved to be utter failures. So after all this had happened, all those conversations are done, then a single scribe comes back to talk to Jesus. And that is the conversation we're going to look at today. Matthew 12, verses 28 to 34 so, if you would follow along with me as I read, Matthew 12, I'm sorry, Mark 12, Mark 12, beginning verse 28. One of the scribes approached. When he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, Which command is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You're right, teacher. (laughs) Well, of course he's right. He's God. You're right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one, and there is no one except him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And no one dared to question him any longer. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll speak to us very clearly today. I pray that you wouldn't let me mess up your word, that it'll be just what uh, your truth is, not my opinion. (coughs) Speak to us so we might understand and obey for the glory of God. Amen. (coughs) This is an interesting little passage. It's a parallel passage with Matthew. Uh, He also tells the story. But what I want us to see here today is this overarching idea of priorities. That's why I've called this message, Get Your Priorities Straight. Because if we're going to talk about vision, we're going to talk about doing what God says to do on purpose for the glory of God, we have to get our priorities straight. We have to know what is most important. And Jesus, thankfully, tells us exactly what is most important. We don't even have to guess. We don't have to read the whole Bible, and then say, okay, out of all that, what's most important? Jesus tells us. He tells us what is primary. So this breaks down into kind of a question and an answer and then a statement and a statement, an observation, so to speak. So let's start at the beginning and kind of see the flow of this little conversation because it really is quite interesting. The first question in verse 28, the scribe, the single scribe, approaches after hearing Jesus' dialogue with the Sadducees. Now remember, there were several groups, every single one of them. You have chief priests, scribes, elders, Pharisees, Herodians, Sadducees. They all came up to Jesus with the same goal in mind. We're going to get this guy to say something that's not right, and then we're going to pounce on him. Well, they didn't realize they're talking with Jesus, the Son of God. So guess what? He's never going to say anything wrong. It's always going to be exactly the right thing. So they failed. Every one of them failed. They went running away with their tail between their legs like they should have because they just didn't understand to whom they were speaking. So he asked this one question, the single scribe. Now, who's the scribes? They're experts in the law. They, they write, they copy, they record But in the meantime, they are very well studied. So they understand a lot of things about the religious system of the day. So when this single scribe approaches Jesus, he has heard some of the dialogue that has gone on before. So he asks a single question. Which is the greatest commandment? Now, the sense of this question is not really the most important commandment, even that's kind of what the words in English, the way they translate it over. But the, the original Greek language has a different paints a little different word picture for us. The sense of this question is not which is the most important commandment, but it's more like, which commandment supersedes everything, and it's incumbent on all humanity, not just the, Jews, the Jews and the Gentiles alike. Which commandment? Is above everything else that's really what's being asked and so when you ask a question like that the answer is important because you can't just say anything the the Jewish system of the day the religious system the one the Pharisees were promoting they I mean, you could count over 600 different laws and and things required of the people the Pharisees were real good at taking the law of God and then building their own law around it, but trying to give the same weight to their laws as God's law. They wanted to to add to it, and then they wanted it all to be just as important. And they were real good also about saying, do as I say, not as I do. So they were real good at trying to enforce all these things on the people while they didn't even observe them themselves. Which, you know, that doesn't make people happy when you're up there saying do this. And they say, well, why aren't you doing it? Well, you just don't worry about that. Mind your business and do what I said. Yeah, that's, that, that's not how that works. We're all, all under the, the law of God. We all need to obey God. So this question was really important. Which command supersedes everything? Well, Jesus answers in verse 29 down to verse 31. He answers with two statements and two commands. And he's quoting scripture. So if you were to go back to Deuteronomy 6, around verse 4, 5, and 6, and then Leviticus 19 and verse 18, Jesus is quoting these two Old Testament passages. The first statement he gives, Listen, O Israel, hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. That means there's one God, and it's Yahweh, the Lord. Then he makes a command. The first command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This passage is from Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. It's known as the Shema, which in Hebrew means to hear. And it was recited, listen to this, it was recited morning and evening by every real religious, pious Jew. It was a a summary. It was... It was and is as important to Judaism as the Lord's Prayer, the Apostle Creed, is to Christianity. It's a statement. God is the one and only Lord, not only of Israel, but of every individual as well. See, this is what many people don't seem to understand. You talk about, well, Jesus is your Savior and Lord. Well, he's your Savior. Did you make him your Lord? Well, guess what? I got news for you. Jesus is Lord whether you decide to make him your Lord or not. Amen. Jesus is not waiting on your consent to be Lord. He's Lord. You know how I know that? I'm glad you asked. Philippians chapter 2 Paul writes these beautiful words. He says that we should have this same attitude As that of Christ Jesus, who existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited or to be grasped or exerted. Instead, he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, taking on the the likeness of, of humanity. And when he had come as a man, found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to the death of a cross. And for this reason... God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is who? Lord. That means the name that God has given to his son because of all he did to, to glorify God and to fulfill the plan of God, he gave him the name Lord. And that's important because it says every knee will bow. It says every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. You know what that means? That th- this is the name that was reserved for God Almighty, the Old Testament, Yahweh. That means This is a declaration that Jesus is God. And it also means that because every tongue is going to confess that truth, that means at the end of time, when all things are consummated for the glory of God, that means you will either willingly, joyfully praise the, the, the name of God and say, Jesus is Lord, or you will be physically forced to your knees in submission and you will declare that Jesus is Lord, whether you want to or not. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. You know what that means? That means there's not a sinner in hell who won't be declaring Jesus is Lord. There's not a saint in heaven who won't be declaring Jesus is Lord because he is. It it doesn't matter if you and I believe it or declare it or agree with it. Jesus is Lord. It's just who he is. So, Jesus says, as he quotes the Old Testament, the Lord our God, the Lord is one Lord. There's only one. There's only one. And what are we to do with this one Lord? How are we to respond? We're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's from Deuteronomy 6. So that means God in Christ lays a rightful claim to every part of the human personality. The heart, which is your emotions, the soul, your spirit, your, the, the mind, your, your intelligence, and the strength, which talks about our, our will, our desire. So every part of us we to love God with it, every part. The second command, love, the ne- love your neighbor as yourself. This is from Leviticus 19.18. And then Jesus makes this statement, there is no other command, singular, greater than these, plural. Now, isn't that interesting? Why would he say it like that? See, the fact that Jesus adds this commandment from Leviticus 19 to the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, he puts them together. So that indicates that it takes both of these commandments to realize the singular will of God. If we want to do the will of God, it's not just about loving God because our love for God should overflow in love for our neighbor. Does that make sense? You Remember what John the apostle wrote in 1 John? If we say we love God but we hate our brother, we're a liar. It just doesn't work that way. I can't, I can't, it don't matter if we disagree. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I can disagree with you on something, but I'm still going to love you. We might not see eye to eye on a particular subject. I'm still going to love you. That's what Christians do. We love each other. It don't matter if we don't agree on every little thing. You may not like Clemson football. That's okay. Not everybody can be right. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, you might like some other team. But that's okay. Because you know what? I'm still going to love you. It not matter if I disagree with you. Because that's what Christians do. There's not, listen to me, there is not a single issue or subject or idea that should divide two Christians who are willing to love each other. It, it doesn't matter what disagreement we have on what subject. If we're both Christians and we're both following Jesus, then it, it shouldn't matter if we don't see eye to eye on every single thing. Because if we did, that would be boring. We should still be able to sit down and have a discussion and be kind And love each other. If we agree to disagree. Okay. But guess what? You're still my brother. You're still my sister. And I still love you. Y'all alright? Does that make sense? That's how Christians are supposed to live. And that's how the world. Will know we follow Jesus. By our love for one another. That's in the Bible by the way. You know it's true. So. Whoever doesn't find this source of love in God is going to fail to exhibit God's unique love to their neighbor because love of God comes before love of neighbor and makes it possible. We can't ever expect to love our neighbor right if we don't love God. We've got to love God. Then we love our neighbor. Does that make sense? Y'all okay with me so far? Now, the first observation, these last two observations in in the close of this passage, one is earthly. One is heavenly. I'll give you three guesses which comes from which. The scribe is going to observe the answer that Jesus gives to his question, and then he's going to judge that answer to be correct. Big surprise. He says, "This this is just so funny to me. I mean, maybe it wasn't meant to be humorous, but to me it just is. When Jesus says something, and then a person says, well, you're right. Well, of course he's right. He's God. He says, you are right, teacher. You have correctly said. The, the literal Greek translation says, well said, well said, good answer. It's almost like their own Family Feud. Good answer, good answer. So here's the summary of what Jesus says. Uh, the scribe repeats it back to him so you know he understood. He says that, that he is one, God is one, there's one God. There is no one else except him. And then we are to love him with all your heart, all your understanding, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So the summary that the scribe repeats back there uh, in verse 33 uh, is correct. So these commands, he says, this is the scribe speaking back to Jesus. He says, they are far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Kind of reminds you of another Old Testament passage. You remember in 1 Samuel 15 when When we read that to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. That's an Old Testament truth. So the scribe gives his verdict, and obedience is indeed better than sacrifice. So to love God and to love your neighbor is more, more and better than all the observance of the law. But this was not a new view, a new opinion. This is the heart of the prophetic message to Israel from the beginning. This is what the Old Testament is pointing us to, to understand. You can do things that God asks you to do, but if your heart's not right, then you're just going through the motions. You understand what I'm saying? Read Isaiah. Read the minor prophet of Amos. God rails against the people because they're, they're going to the they're going to worship. They're bringing their sacrifices. They're singing their songs. You know, what? you know what? You should read this sometime. You know what God says to his people in Amos chapter 5? He says, I'm not, your, your songs are noisy. He says, I'm not going to listen to the noise of your songs. I'm not going to look at your sacrifices. I'm not going to accept any of it. Just take it away from me. You know why? Because God sees the heart. You can show up to church all you want. You can do the things that are indicative of a Christian all you want. But if your heart's not right, who are you fooling? You might fool me. You might fool somebody else in the room, but you're not going to fool God. You're never going to fool God. God knows what your heart says. That's why, that's why He, he in, in Matthew, Jesus quotes Isaiah. He says. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. you. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Well, that's a terrible thing to say about people. I would, I, would, would, would you ever want that said about you? Yeah, you might worship me with what you say out loud, but your heart's not anything like that. I, I don't want God to say that about me. So the scribe is repeating this, and saying that, yeah, yeah, this is a good answer, Jesus. Good job. You must have studied. What it, what it ultimately means, though, is that even the most sacred observances or, or duties, uh, they, they don't take precedence over agape love. That's, that's the kind of love that, that uh, when Jesus uses that word, it's agape love. That, that's the kind of love that God has for us in Christ. It's the kind of love that's unconditional and and Uh, Unselfish and sacrificial The kind of love that Jesus displayed When he went to the cross That's agape love It's the deepest Most profound kind of love And that's what The word is that Jesus uses what, What kind of love we're supposed to have for God And the same kind of love We're supposed to have for each other Is that Unselfish, sacrificial Think of others as better than yourselves that, that kind of attitude. Does that make sense? That's what Jesus is telling us here. And so the scribe acknowledges that. And so all these different things that we could do, we could observe these things or do these things and say we're doing it for the Lord. But guess what? They don't have any meaning unless they're based on and founded in this love for God, this true love and devotion to God. So what does Jesus say? Last verse, verse 34. You have an earthly observation from a scribe, but now you have the heavenly observation from Jesus. He observes the scribe's acknowledgement, and now he judges it to be wise. So the summary of this position that Jesus pronounces in verse 34 there, you can see it. He tells the scribe, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Now what what would you do if Jesus said that to you? Just think about it for a minute. If you just had a conversation with Jesus, you asked him a question, he answered, and then you said to him, oh, well, you're right. You made 100 on that quiz. And then Jesus looks at you and says, you know, you're not far from the kingdom of God. You know what that says to me? Just think about it for a minute. It sounds positive at first, doesn't it? You're not far from the kingdom of God, but you know what it means? You're not in the kingdom of God. You're close, but you're not there. So it seems positive, but what it really means is you're not there. You think you're there because you know a lot of stuff, but you're not there. You're not far. And that explains why the very last sentence in this paragraph says, after that, nobody dared ask him anything. Well, of course not. You see what happens. You know, I I, I encountered this when when I was in seminary. It's the funniest thing. You know, when you're in a class with a bunch of preacher boys, there's always at least one or two that's got to answer every question. They think they know everything. And meanwhile, you're in seminary to learn, but you come in thinking you already know it, right? It is one in every class. Well, the funniest thing was when I was in uh, this Christian philosophy, philosophy class, the very first one, uh, I found out real quick, my professor, super smart, because when the fellow walks in and suspenders and a bow tie, you kind of just back up a minute, well, He looks like he's smart. And then when he starts talking, yep, he's smart. So that means, you know what old Mike's going to do? Mike's going to sit in his desk, and he's not going to say a word. He's going to listen and take notes. But he's not going to answer any questions. Unless he is forced to answer a question, he's not going to answer a question. So that's what I did. And I was right because first day of class, he asked a question. And I'm just kind of wonder which one it is in this class that thinks they know everything. I'm going to see who it is. And so sure enough, a guy two rows behind me to the right, I mean, it hadn't been two seconds since the question was asked, and he spouts off an answer. Then the professor starts to walk. I'm like, oh, shoot, it's going to get bad now. I'm glad I'm not him. And he walks closer to that young man and then engages in a one-on-one dialogue to follow up with his answer that was wrong. And then for the next five to six minutes, Everybody else in the class gets to watch this poor fellow just get torn to pieces by somebody who's smarter than he is. Funny thing was, he didn't learn. He kept answering questions. The point is, when Jesus tells you something, that's not a time to look at Jesus and say, well, very good answer, Jesus, that's right. Like I can sit and judge what Jesus says to be right or wrong. It's the other way around. See, Jesus judges us. We don't judge him. We don't judge his word. So nobody else dared ask him a question. So when we're talking about priorities, when we're talking about truth or error. See, when Jesus speaks, the debate's closed. He is going to be... The victor on every side every time. So what does that have to do with us? You know, when I started this this message, I I put some stuff out here on the platform, some cars, some different things. I, I want to try to tie this together with some personal application, has to do with our vision, our twenty twenty vision. What what would it look like for us if we love God? With all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. What would it look like if we loved our neighbors as ourselves? How would that uh, manifest itself in what we did as a church, a- as individuals? Wh- what would that look like? Well, here's, here's just a, a, few, a few things that I've kind of been working on, kind of identified over the last couple months. It's going to affect our prayer. It's going to affect how much we pray, how often we pray, how we pray. So what would I like to see as uh, a vision for the church? Well, I I wouldn't mind seeing uh, a minimum of 75% of our church membership showing up on Wednesday night for prayer and Bible study. That, that, that kind of indicates some things were going on, wouldn't it? We meet on Wednesday night to pray and study God's Word in a real informal atmosphere. We meet over in the fellowship hall, have coffee. Thank you, Willie. We, we, we just fellowship. We, we pray. We study the, the Word together. So that might be an indicator. If, if more than 75% of the folks who are here right now or who are typically here on Sunday morning would show up on Wednesday night, that might show something. How about if church members were actively praying for the lost people they know? Or maybe they're actively praying for the ministry of the church in this community. Or maybe actively praying for the leadership of the church. And so, you know, there's there's things we can, we can do to that end. I, I came up with this little prayer card. This is a way where we can, uh, you know, hopefully uh, in the coming weeks and months and years, we'll be able to put some intentionality behind our prayers, you know, and so there's going to be a box back there in the foyer and there's going to be these little prayer request cards in all the pews and it just simply says it's a privilege to join you in prayer for your specific request. Please indicate your need and place the card in the offering plate or give it to the pastor after the service or place it in the box in the foyer. Put your name, email address, what your prayer need is, you can write on the back, drop it in the box. It remains confidential if you want it to be but you can intentionally, specifically ask for prayer for certain things. Then when we come together on Sunday morning, you know, it's that, that process is more streamlined because instead of taking some time you know, in our worship time to, to verbalize all our prayers, I know that some people don't want to say what their prayers are. That's perfectly fine. Right on the car, drop in the box. You're being prayed for because that's what we want to do. We want to pray for each other. How about evangelism? You think loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbors as ourselves, you think that would affect our evangelism? Sharing the gospel? What about if church members were actively engaging in gospel conversation with other people? Like intent on purpose. You know, hey, when I go to the grocery store, I'm not just going to buy groceries. Because there's probably going to be somebody in the checkout line or on an on a aisle somewhere that might need Jesus. So I'm going to keep my eyes open, my ears open, see if I can't talk with somebody about Jesus. What about church members actively sharing their faith in the community? And not just praying, Lord, give me the opportunity today. How about going on and take the next step? Lord, I know you're going to give me the opportunity today, so when it presents itself, don't let me miss it. How about that? That's a different mindset. You ever prayed for God to send somebody across your path that you might share the gospel with them? You ever realize that God does that every day without you asking? So maybe we need to change our focus a little bit. God, you're going to send people across my path today. Unless I'm sitting in the house with the door locked all day long, you're going to send somebody across the path today That needs to hear about Jesus. So help me do it. Give me confidence. Don't let me be scared. Let me do it. How about actively inviting friends and family to a church service? That's pretty low risk, right? Did you know some some astronomical statistic, I forget exactly what it is, but it's upwards of 75%. Of people, if, you, uh, if they're invited to church, if they, even if they don't come the first time, if, if people are personally invited to church, the overwhelming majority of people will, will actually go if, if somebody invites them. So maybe we need to be actively engaged in that type of mindset, evangelism, and prayer. So I'm trying to, trying to give us tools, just resources, all right? And there's nothing special about this. I'm just trying to make it easier. This is a card, and I, I borrowed this. I didn't make this up because you know, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. So this is not original, but it's really helpful because here's what it is. It's an intentional, relational evangelism tracker. It's a, it's a way for each of us to kind of say, well, how can I know who I'm praying for and, and keep track of what I'm doing? So there's four categories, family, neighbors, work, and play are like hobbies. And in those four categories, there's five lines. So you could have up to 20 people that are close to you that you interact with, and you write their names down, which category they're in, and you write their names down. And then, so you identify these close relationships, then you mark each one of them, saved, lost, or I don't know. And then you go back after you marked them all, and you look at the ones that are lost and the ones you don't know, and you circle some names on there, and you pray specifically, Lord, give me an opportunity to have a conversation with that person. They might, I, I, they're they either lost or I don't know if they are or not, but they need, they need Jesus. So I'm going to pray specifically for that person that I would be able to have a conversation with them. Just, just, a, just a tool, just a tool, something to help us. How about worship? And we gonna talk more about this next week. Because I need to quit. How about when we have folks that come to church and they're, maybe they're guests or you know how, how do we how do we reach out to folks when they're a guest? Well, it's a simple little another little card, simple little thing. See, we're putting that putting that copier to good use. It's a connection card. When somebody comes as a guest, they'll find one of these in the pew. They just pick it up, name, email, address, phone number, whether or not they want to receive email or text message updates, and then a little line, how would you hear about Berlin Baptist? We want to know. Are you a first-time guest, second-time guest? Are you a regular attender, or are you a member? And on the back, it says, my next step today is... Is it salvation? Is it baptism? Is it connecting with a small group or being a member of the church? Is it serving in a particular ministry? Do you need more information about something? All that can be done with this one little card. And like I said, this isn't rocket science. I didn't make all this up. But it's just resources. Just tools for us to help be more intentional about prayer, evangelism, missions, you know, are we going to be more involved in missions? I, I, I've got some goals for missions. I, I'd love to see uh, by the year 2020, by the end of the year, I'd love to see at least 75% of our membership involved in local missions in this community or this state. 50% of our members involved in state or North American missions, and then 25% of us at least involved in international missions over the next two years. You know, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. All that stuff that I'm praying for, stuff that I'd, I'd like to see God do among us. And here's what I know to be true. If we, if we don't set a goal, we'll hit it every time. Do you know that's how that works? I'm trying to, to pray through and think through what are some things we can do on purpose to be more uh, focused on what God has called us to do as a church. I just, and and, and I'm going to say one one more thing, and then we're going to be done. I I just, I know I've laid a lot on you today, and I'm going to lay more on you next Sunday. But here's what I want you to know. I, I just want you to hear my heart. It's to my advantage for things in the church to go the very best they can go. Do y'all understand what I'm saying? It, It would be no advantage to me to try to come up with an idea or do something that would not be good and beneficial for the church. Because that would be bad for me. <laughs> that, you know, that, this is this is how this is what I'm spending my life doing. So it would make no sense for me to to come up with an idea or a goal or a, a purpose or a vision or anything that is not in my heart and mind the absolute best we can be for Jesus. That, that that's my goal. Now, having said that, I might make a mistake. Might come up with a stupid idea. <laughs> And it might show itself to be, you know, well, why we do that? Well, we we tried it; it didn't work. So we we we're not we're not gonna do that again, <laughs> okay? But understand, anything that I'm coming up with, or thinking of, or trying to to head toward, or do, or set as a goal, it's all for the purpose of I just want I want Berlin Baptist Church to share the gospel with as many people as we can in as many places as we can for the most glory to God that we can. Th- that's all I want to do. And so everything I'm thinking of and praying over and trying to, to point us toward, it's, that's what's in my mind and in my heart. I, I want everything we do to give God the maximum amount of glory. And, and I believe as we love God, and love others, I just, I'm, I believe God's faithful. I believe he'll do what he says he'll do if we do what we're supposed to do. Let's pray.